0: You know, I'm I'm convinced, and, and to say on the front, and one of the reasons we're going to be looking at the Psalms this morning is because at uh, Ruf at Wofford we have uh, what we just call a large group. It's a worship service every Tuesday night at nine o'clock in McMillan Theater. And uh, if you're interested in coming to check that out and you want to kind of look in on that, and Ruf at Wofford, you can let me know. But we're we're looking at the Psalms this semester, and I wanted. Grace is kind of Ruf's home base to kind of get a taste for the Psalms and what we're going to be exploring this semester. And so I'm convinced that there's certain moments in life that are they're nothing short of miraculous. And here's what I mean: there's certain moments that they're so good and they're so sweet, you just don't even have the words to describe them. And I think that weddings are like this. So, with the bride and groom make eye contact for the first time when the bride's walking down the aisle in her white dress, you really can't describe that in words. I couldn't describe that in words as I saw Ivy walk down the aisle. I think that athletes experience this when they get gold medals, as we're watching the Olympics every day right now, and as championship rings are put on fingers, that you can't really describe this, this moment that they have. And that's why, if you've noticed, that when kind of commentators or journalists come, to interview athletes after they've won championship games or get the ring they they don't have really anything substantive to say about the experience it's all very cliché what they're saying because it's just so exciting they don't have the words for it but you also know that after the amazement after we're sort of taken our breath's been taken away by these moments there's a daily grind that begins really soon after that and so in marriage after the honeymoon it's time to pay bills it's time to do dishes. Uh, it's it's time to go uh, eat at really uh, cheap restaurants instead of being at a resort or wherever you went on your honeymoon. And after receiving the trophies and the gold medals, it's time to start training for the next Olympics or the next season. Like it's time to get to work. There's a daily grind that begins to that happens like the next day or the next week. And in a similar way as the people of God, we we are those who have experienced the miraculous from God. We've been redeemed by the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good in a palpable way. That is us. But you and I both know that the daily grind of discipleship in a fallen world, oftentimes is distressing and there's sorrow. And though we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, our labor in the kingdom of God involves a lot of tears and a lot of crying and a lot of distress. That's what's going on in Psalm 126 this morning because the reality is this, life in a fallen world involves seasons of distress and sorrow. They just do. If we are to be honest and name that, they do. In the Psalms... Give us words for our distress and our sorrow. And that's what Psalm 126 wants for us this morning. Because this psalm recounts of God's people who have experienced the miraculous from God. But now they're crying out to Him because their circumstances are almost too much for them to take. Now you might be here this morning and you might, when I said Psalm 126, instead of um, whatever is in the bulletin, I guess Colossians, uh, I think is in the bulletin. You might find yourself suspicious of the psalms this morning. You might be thinking, how in the world can poetry... I've heard that the psalms are poetry. How can poetry help us live faithfully in a broken world right now? What do they have to offer us? There's no theology to the psalms. Give me some Apostle Paul or Peter or John. Give me a gospel... But I want to suggest to you this morning, and I hope that we can get a sense for this, that the Psalms are uniquely apt to help us live faithfully in a broken world. But it's important that we know what the Psalms are. And this is what we've been talking about at large group. The Psalms were Israel's hymn book. God's people in the Old Testament sang these 150 Psalms in corporate worship. And they sang them in order to effect change in their hearts, that they might lean into the world in very particular ways, in particular directions. Now it's important that we know before we get in this that the psalms are not poems that merely express the individual author's experience individually, right? It's not, David, it's not just David's prayer journal. But these were corporate psalms. And one scholar calls these psalms public poetry. Because as the people sang them, it wasn't a solo song. Everybody sang them, much like we've been singing hymns this morning, to get us all stirred up. Not just Keith, whoever is playing up here, right? Not just me, It's to affect all of us. Because the Psalms want us to lean into the world in very particular ways. They give us language and they want to train our words and our hearts in particular ways. They show us how to pray, how to address brokenness and chaos in the world. How to address God after we've sinned. How to devote ourselves to living in coherence to God's good creation. How to celebrate God's law. Speaking of the Psalms, one one scholar puts it this way. The Psalms deal not just with information and abstract theology, but with our experience of it. Its purpose is to help us to rejoice over something, or to mourn over something, or to rejoice over it, or to act on its recollection. So the Lord this morning, brothers and sisters, wants us to be shaped in very particular ways. Now if you'll turn... In, uh, in your Bibles or on your phones, let us look at Psalm 126. Direct your attention there. God has given us His Word because He loves us. Let us listen to it. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is God's Word. Let me pray for us. Lord, we do come to You this morning, and we long for You to speak. And we all walk into this room in different places. So Lord, we know that Your Word is living and active and we trust that's true because You are living and active. You have spoken to us. Lord, I do ask that You would speak to us now and to shape us into Your people, but ultimately in the image of Your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So since the psalms are meant to shape us, you know, there are 150 of them. There are all kinds of different psalms. We looked at Psalm 1, at large group, Tuesday night, and that was a a wisdom psalm. Psalm 126, it's important for us to know, is one of community lament. Community lament. And lament in the Bible is just an old word for complain. Just complain. And, And lament in the Bible is essentially looking at your circumstances... And not liking them. And instead of stuffing them and ignoring them. Or acting like everything is okay. You complained to God. And like in the psalmist in Psalm 13. When he says, how long oh Lord? Right? That's what lament is. It's being honest with God about the pain that we experience in the world. And it's important... For us to know what lament is, and I think it's very freeing for us because it's tempting, again, to ignore the brokenness that we see and that we feel and to act like it's not there. And to just say when people ask you how you are, how your week was, just say, yeah, I'm I'm good, how are you? Right, there's a culture of that, I think, in the church. And lament frees us because this is what's important about the Christian faith, that lament frees us to admit that God never invites us to pretend to be something we're not ever. God never invites us to pretend to be something that we're not. And so the Psalms invite us to be honest about the emotions that we have. But it's important we know that they're not just to express our emotions to God, but to have us shaped in particular ways. And we're shaped in two ways in this Psalm. And the first way is this. This Psalm compels us to reflect back on God's faithfulness in the past. This psalm compels us as God's people to reflect back on God's faithfulness in the past. Look at verse 1 again. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Then our mouth was filled filled with laughter, our tongues with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. So we read in verse 1 that the people singing this psalm were those that have experienced the miraculous from God. And we don't know exactly what the event was or the series of events that took place. And it could be referring to Israel being delivered from Babylonian exile or just a season of the Lord's goodness in their lives. But either way, this this is a time when their lives would change forever. They were like those who dream. They don't have the words to even speak about this season with the Lord. It was a time with laughter, it was too good to be true and they had to shout for joy and as I was thinking about this this morning I was what kind of people were singing this song one thing is clear about these people that were singing this they knew they had a history with God these people knew that they had a history with God and they were very in tune with this history In this act of looking back, to reflect back on God's faithfulness in the past, it's not exclusive to Psalm 126. If you read all 150 Psalms, you see this this practice of God's people reflecting back on God's faithfulness all over the place. You see it in the Christian story. Where God's people reflect back and they say, Lord, this is awful how long, but this is who you've been to me. Do it again. I've tasted, I've seen that you're good. Be good again. That's what the psalmists want us to do this morning. And we do this all the time. Think of, of the way that we do this in relationships. So when we celebrate wedding anniversaries or birthdays, or our church's one year anniversary today, what have we been doing? We're reflecting back on God's history with us. Who He's been to us. How He answered our prayers and when we celebrate someone's birthday, we often reflect back on who they've been to us. How they've listened to us. How they've challenged us and stretched us. But what's important, what happens when we sell? We don't just do this to be nostalgic. What happens when we reflect back in this way? It makes us want more. We get so caught up in it, we want more of it, Right? More joy, more laughter, more answered prayers, more blessing. And so when we say, how long, O Lord, be faithful again, we need, to be, we need to allow ourselves not to grow cynical and apathetic about being nostalgic about who God was 15 years ago. No, this is our history with God. He's been sweet to us then and He can be good to us now and in the future Augustine, one of the church fathers, there's a famous line, he says, Our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. And this Confessions is just a book, this is a famous book that Augustine wrote. It's just a series of prayers. This is someone who was very honest with God about what he was dealing with, but he tasted and he saw that the Lord was good and he wanted more of God's faithfulness. I don't know about you, I'm deeply challenged by this. I'm deeply challenged by this because I don't reflect back on God's faithfulness in the past. Left to myself, I'm far less rooted in God's faithfulness in the past and more driven and controlled by my current circumstances and my feelings that are all over the place. And whatever I'm I'm worried about at the moment. That's what controls me and is on my mind when I wake up in the morning. So I want to ask, when you, how do you spend your time and energy in your prayers? Are, are you consumed by what's going on at the moment or the week ahead? Or are you more in tune and deeply rooted in God's history with you? And God's faithfulness to you? I'm, far, I'm not rooted in God's faithfulness to me. And I, I, I want to be. I hope that we can be a people that reflect back in that way. Those who say to each other, to ourselves, "Man, I know that I know this is hard. I know this is hard. Your marriage has been rough for a lot of years now. Do you remember when he was faithful? Do you remember that? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm freaking out about this test coming up, or this whether or not I'm going to get this promotion in the next month. But man, God has been faithful to me." last month in very particular ways when I was really at the end of ourselves. So I want to ask, when, when has God been faithful to you? Even right now, when, just imagine, right, like reflect back, when has God drawn near to you in a very particular way? Because I would imagine many of you, if you've been walking with the Lord for very long, you've had seasons when God's Word and God's people the lord's supper and the sacraments all these things in the life of the church and in discipleship were very sweet to you where god communed with you in a very palpable way when has he done this for you i want to invite you not to let yourself get numb to that it's not nostalgia again to reflect back on those moments and seasons last thing for application here i think this this act of looking back we can actually it's not just an individual thing we can do this as a body we can do this together and so when a brother or sister comes to you your spouse comes to you your son or daughter comes to you and they're reflecting or they're they're actually lamenting and complaining about their circumstances that they're feeling right now we should enter into that and not ignore what they're going through and just quote a bible verse and say okay, I'm praying for you, you should pray for it too. And just simply and functionally ignore what they're going through. We should be caught up in the complaining that they're doing and say with them, how long? How long is your daughter going to go through this? How long is your marriage going to go through this season? How long is depression going to characterize your life? But we also should develop habits together to say... But brother and do you remember when the God did this for you? Do you remember when He answered your prayers? Do you remember when you were at the end of yourself and God provided for your family financially? Let us reflect back and say together, not only how long, but do it again, Lord. Do it again. So the first way we're to be shaped is looking backward. The second way we're to be shaped this morning in Psalm 126 is that we are to labor looking forward. Labor looking forward. Look at verse 4 again. We're going to read the rest of the psalm starting in verse 4 again, just to go there. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reek with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. I love that the psalms are so honest the the guy who wrote or the, the people who wrote and sang Psalm 126 were very realistic and they're they're letting us in on the reality and the honesty that labor in the kingdom of God we do that with tears in our eyes oftentimes we do that with tears in our eyes the last thing this psalm wants to wants us wants for us this morning it doesn't want us to skip over or minimize the horror of suffering in the Christian life The Psalms will not have any part of that. One commentator puts it this way about the people singing this psalm. It's clear that in Psalm 126 that those who wrote it, those who sang it, were no strangers to the dark side of things. They carried the painful memory of exile in their bones and the scars of oppression on their backs. They knew the deserts of the heart and the nights of weeping. They knew what it meant to sow in tears. Again, I think you get the point. But One of the most compelling things I know for me when I became a Christian is to know about the Christian story and the Christian faith is that the Bible does not minimize or ignore suffering and tears in a broken world. It actually commends them. We're going to get at this towards the end, but it's important we know now that tears never have the last word for us. Tears never have the last word. Now this labor in the kingdom of God, we're going to get into this in a second, it's not just arbitrary labor or discipleship in a a fallen world. It's not only done in tears. But we, we look forward, we labor expecting certain things to happen. We labor with anticipation. The first thing that we see about the nature of our labor, just to get in, there's agricultural imagery with sewing and sheaves and all those things. I think there's two things just as a kind of a side note on the nature, nature of our labor in a fallen world. First, our labor is in God's world. It's handling the stuff of creation. God's good creation. This is often mundane works in our kitchens and classrooms. Uh, class That's the first thing we see. Second, it's good work. It's good work. We're to sow and tend the garden just as Adam and Eve were commanded to do. This is a carrying on of that original creation act in kitchen and classroom cubicles and backyards. And this is good work. It's not just, it's not somehow not spiritual because we're not praying when we're doing it or or whatever. And so we are to sow in tears. But laboring looking forward with expectant hope that certain things are going to happen, happen in this labor. You know, hope can be a, a, a word if you go into Barnes & Noble or uh, if you watch movie trailers, you just see hope in and outside of the church. And I think it's a term, at least for me, I don't, I don't know if I could really define what hope is biblically if you caught me you know, in a coffee shop on Tuesday morning. But I, I like this definition. And I think it fits with Psalm 126. I'm going to read it a couple times. Biblical hope is rooted in God's past work that gives us present power to persevere because of our confidence in His future work. I'm going to read that again. Biblical hope is rooted in God's past work that gives us present power to persevere because of our confidence in His future work. We labor knowing that we are going somewhere. We are going somewhere. We are anticipating this. And so if you, we are going to get to where we are going in a second. But I just want to encourage you, if you have been a Christian for a long time, if you have grown up in the church. Sunday school and scripture memorization and tithing and coming to the Lord's table. All this can get very habitual and yeah, I think that the, 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 the blood of it, the kind of flesh and bone to it, I think that we, and the sweetness of it can really wear off at times. And I just want to say this labor in the kingdom of God, your tithing, your fellowship together, your Bible studies, your labor in and outside of this church, it's good work. According to the psalmist here, it's good work. Our loving God and loving neighbor in Spartanburg is good work. So we're kind of landing the plane here. Why do we labor? Why do we labor? We labor looking forward. We labor knowing that we're going somewhere. That is why we labor. Because as the people of God, we trust that tears and sorrow do characterize our life with God oftentimes. And we want to be honest with that. But that tears and sorrow never have the last word in the Christian story. And so we labor, yes, with tears in our eyes, but we know that the light has defeated the darkness. God in Christ has defeated death. And He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That is where we're going, and that is why we labor in God's kingdom. Because if you notice, there's there's not only an honest in reflecting back on God's faithfulness and an honesty about the tears in Psalm 126, But there is a confidence in Psalm 126. Did you hear the the vocabulary? Did you hear it when I read that? There's a confidence in the psalmist here. There will be an eternal home that we will return to. It's not if this is going to happen, it is going to happen. And in this kingdom, this home, there will be no crying, there will be no racial division, there will be no depression. There will be no sickness. There will be no addiction. This is why we labor. We can labor and weep in the kingdom of God because for us, we can do so with sturdiness, knowing where we're going. That's why we labor. So the psalm wants us to be shaped, to look back on God's faithfulness and to look forward to the future home that we have in Christ, We're not going to be doing communion this morning. But I do think one of the things I love about weekly communion is that it, it, it allows us to see and taste on a weekly basis when we come to the table. A foretaste of the home to come. And so what do we do in the Lord's Supper? Just think about this. We were reflecting back on an event in history that actually happened. The body and blood is a sign of something that really happened. Jesus Christ really died. And He really is ascended right now at His Father's right hand. And He really is making all things new. And we can labor looking forward because what happens in the benediction? We're sent out to labor Yes, even in tears sometimes. But we labor looking forward because we know that the Lord's Supper weekly is not the only meal that we can look forward to. It anticipates the marriage supper of the Lamb where we will be with Jesus. We will see Him like I see you here this morning. And we will touch Him and see Him as He is. And we will be home. That's what we go out and labor in the Kingdom of God expecting to happen. Last week I concluded with reading a portion of the Jesus Storybook Bible and um, my mother-in-law who is in town gave us a copy and I was reading this again last night and I, wanna, I want you to just receive this, I'm going to read a passage again and this is when uh, in, the, in the Storybook Bible, This is what um, Sally Lloyd Jones, who wrote it, this is her reflecting on God's promise to restore all things after Adam and Eve have fallen and sin has entered into the world. world. God loved His children too much to let the story end there. Even though He knew He would suffer, God had a plan—a magnificent dream. One day He would get His children back. One day He would make the world their perfect home again. And one day He would wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love His children with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. And though they would forget Him, run from Him, deep in their hearts, God's children would miss Him always and long for Him. Lost children yearning for their home. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to do battle against the serpent. And I will get rid of sin and the dark and the sadness that you let in here, and I'm coming back for you. And He would. One day, God Himself would come. We labor looking forward because we know that is where we're going. We'll be home again. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the honesty in the Psalms. Thank You for not inviting us to pretend to be something that we're not. Thank You that in the church you provided a space for us and weekly for us to lament and complain about the brokenness in the world. Things are not the way that they are supposed to be. But Lord, thank You that You have made promises to us. You've made covenant promises to us that you have kept in history. And we've been reflecting back on that this morning. There are also certain promises that have not come true yet. You promised that you'd make the whole world new again. And that you would wipe away tears from our eyes. All of them. Help us as we labor in your world, your good creation, as your church, that we would labor looking forward to that eternal home where everything will be made new and everything sad will come untrue. We pray through Christ who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen.